We're having an encounter at the Blue Bayou and we're off to Raccoon City for a final account. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic, everything celluloid-based, or at least it was once upon a time, and everything available on every screen in your home. Actually, it is available kind of on every screen, though, is it? Do we have any devices anymore that don't play movies? I think smartwatches are about we, it, aren't they? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, do we go around not holding at least one device as well that could play a movie? That's we pretty always much have, yeah, at. we always have the ability to watch a movie now, don't we? Anyway, um, speaking of watching movies, I, I know one I know one that you've seen. I'm looking forward mm. to talking to you about this, because I, I have also seen it, of course, um, is Blue Bayou. She's uh, directed by, written by, and starring uh, Justin Sean. Uh, alongside, I think his on-screen partner is uh, Alicia Vikander. You saw this uh, this week. Tell us, tell us about uh, Blue Bayou, Bex. Well, um, Justin Chong actually plays a Korean-American man who is raised in the Louisiana Bayou. And um, he's really? actually an, a, an adopted Korean-American. And he's not got the easiest of lives. He's got, a, he's got a lovely partner. She's pregnant with his child. He's kind of stepfather to... Her other child, he tries to make a life for his family, but actually there's a lot of ghosts from his past. There's a, a factor in which he might be deported, which is a massive issue for him. And actually just the racial tension around him being a Korean-American is just something that really plagues him throughout his whole journey. It says here you have two felonies. Uh, yeah, but they were for nonviolent crimes. You know, I wouldn't hurt nobody. Where'd you steal? Um... You know, I could fix just about anything. You know, I could fix motorcycles, you know, cars. Hell, I could fix a lot of steel. Motorcycles, you know, but that was a long time ago. You know, I could, if you give me a chance, you know, I could be a real asset to your workplace. I don't think so. So you got kids? I've got a couple. Um, I got this baby on the way and I'm just looking for another job. Where you work at now? Tattoo parlor. I think you're better off there. This movie covers a lot of ground. There's a lot of topics that are featured in this, uh, you know, uh, issues around what life is like, like living on, I wouldn't say the poverty line, but just actually not in a very affluent part of the Louisiana Bayou. You know, it's how the sad, sad other half live in a way. Um, Justin Chon does an amazing performance in this, um, as does Alicia Vikander. It's a really beautifully shot, wonderfully acted, heartbreaking movie is how I'd probably yeah, describe it. I, I agree with you completely. I was really blown away by this. I really wasn't expecting much of it. And I think Miriam and I watched the trailer before we, before we put the screener on. And uh, we were sort of just thinking, oh, this would be some one of Van's usual movie review ones. It won't be any good. Mm. We watched the trailer like, that, that looks really good. And we watched it like, that, that's even better than it looked. Um, I do think Justin Chan, in particular, has real strength. Not, as, a, as an actor, absolutely great performance here. But as a director as well, and knowing... Mm just how to stage everything he he knows how how to assemble a scene and he knows how to do it with great dramatic effect and there's a lot of scenes you'll, you'll have noticed this yourself with the where it's two-hander scenes where it's a quick usually just a quick cut between mm. you know two people sat across a table but he will hold on one side 
and allow this is the person who has the monologue they've got the they've got the shot it's theirs and just keep everyone else sort of off off camera i like the way that's that staged and i think there was a lot yeah. of that like say so some of the visuals are very grand there's a lot of wonder to them amidst the murk and the misery which is plentiful in his life otherwise um alicia vikander playing against type really as well this is a bit yeah this is not a role i would you gave me this on paper and said who do we cast i'm never gonna be oh alicia vikander clearly yes first person that leaps no to she's life. great yeah, she's done. She's done a really good job in this. I think you know, going back to the direction and actually mm. the cinematography in this as well. Right at the beginning, you see almost this picture perfect view of the bayou. Like it's almost got like these beautiful pink leaves, and it frames the bayou beautifully. There's a bit that comes out at the end that you see at the beginning. It kind of you know rounds off everything to do with this movie. For me, that way you say it kind of mixes um, from the murk to other more dramatic yeah. pieces. I mean. When we look at the kind of race element of this, there's a horrendous scene in a supermarket where, mm. um, yeah, where, where Justin Chong's character is just shopping with, with Alicia Vikander. They get into a little bit of an argument. Suddenly two police officers come uh, and accost them, one of which is her actual daughter's father and the other who just can't let it go. And it's that, it's that horrible... Um, gutting sort of feeling of racism that that kicks in on for no reason and you know and that and again with Justin Chong he sort of keeps that scene although difficult to watch he keeps it going for a little bit longer than you than you'd expect so there's so many powerful different parts of this movie that I think you know it's like it's is it two hours long it's about that isn't it and it just uh, I think it's about an hour 50 something about an hour 52 yeah like it's it's a good pace for that amount mm. of time I think it kind of does everything yeah i can't really fault it i thought it was a really really, really good, well yeah. made movie yeah <laughs> very surprising <laughs> well i mean it, it's worth pointing out that that movie did reduce uh my, my otherwise emotionally impenetrable better half and had her in floods of tears by the end uh, mm. another movie that did that as well is our next one to talk about this week which is the new amazon prime uh release uh, encounter which i didn't know anything about i just knew oh, Curzon are putting this movie out but it's through Amazon Prime, which really confused me. And then I found out it stars Reza Ahmed and Octavia Spencer. And the basic wow. premise, yeah, the basic premise here is that Reza Ahmed is seemingly like a Marine. He's like a black ops Marine who breaks into his uh, his ex-wife's, his, his estranged wife's home uh, one night and uh, wakes his two sons up and says, aliens are taking over the earth. I'm going to get you to safety. And along the way, they're accosted by various dark forces that force the question, are aliens really out to get them or has dad finally lost his mind? It's okay. What's going on here? Road trip with my boys at 3 a.m. No, please, stop! This operation extends to all adjacent states. They have no idea the kind of danger that they're in. Why can't we go home? This ain't a road trip, it's a rescue mission. Nothing bad's gonna happen to you while I'm around. Besides, if this ain't a hell of an adventure, I know what it is, dude. Bar the cast, if you were to tell me the premise of this movie, I'd be like, nah, not interested. 
Um, I think I think it just sounds a bit disjointed from the synopsis. But please tell me tell me what it actually evolves into. Sounds disjointed. I can't go too far into it for spoiler reasons because there is that whole is is it or isn't mm. it kind of element to this. And obviously, if you fall definitively on the side of one of them, you kind of ruin the whole game. Um, but I will say the movie first of all makes a good solid sport out of exactly that. The movie keeps you guessing very well and very effectively. This does feel at times like a sort of phoned-in Shyamalan. It would very much appeal to fans of Jeff Nichols' Midnight Special. It has that sort of aesthetic. But at the same time, you do feel like, this feels like a phoned-in Shyamalan. Um, Cast-wise, I think it works uh, really well as well. I think Riz Ahmed's terrific in it. I think he's got great chemistry, and I wanted to get the names right. The two young child actors play sons, who are Lucian River Chowan and Adita Gadada. Lucian River, that's a cool name. Lucian River. That is a River. very cool name. And um, Octavia Spencer, not the biggest role. You know this is one of those roles she's taken on that's like five days of filming kind of thing, and, mm. and they've used her name to bolster the project. But she actually does make an effective uh, turn out of it. Also nice to see on screen, Rory Cochran, middle-aged Rory Cochran. Who's the guy in Empire Records who loses all the money at the beginning of the movie? <gasps> oh, Joe. You know <laughs> Joe, the, the yeah, because he goes because yeah. Lucas goes. It's the, the whole scene is uh, Joe, Lucas, Lucas, Joe. Where's the money, Joe? Atlantic City. That's Joe. Ah, That's why I know right, it's Joe. Well, there, there, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so I, I always remember him as, as Tim Speedle from CSI Miami, which, as we all know, is the greatest of all the CSIs. Um, but this is really worth seeing. It's part Invasion of the Body Snatchers, part Jacob's Ladder, and frankly, you don't know which of those two it actually is. I loved that about it. Really well made, really solid. Uh, this is uh, Michael Pierce uh, writing and directing this, who did Beast. You know, with Johnny Flynn. Oh, um, yes. Remember? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was a, that was a, yeah, yeah. great follow up to that. Great follow up. Absolutely worth seeing. If you liked Beast, definitely check this out. But this is a lot more mainstream a film, I'd say, than Beast. So this is on Amazon. This is on, sorry, limited theatrical from today, I think. And then I think it's Amazon Prime from next week, or, or it's the. It's, I'm not sure on that one. It's Amazon Prime's a few days behind the theatrical. But definitely do see this. It's worth it just for Rizarmet's performance. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're keeping it cinematic for you. And that was a good start to the show. We've had some good, solid wins with our cinematic offering. Sometimes it's a little bit, one is good and one is not so good. But we've, we're on to a good stretch this week. Um, we are moving on to something much more serious um, than aliens and things like that. Uh, we're moving on to Final Account, which is a documentary about the Third Reich, um, which uh, is something we've both seen, isn't it, Van? Well, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's about the third right, but more specifically, I think it's about if you look at how this has been this has been made. So I think it's not been made like recently. This has been made over the course of the last eleven years, mm. and it's been taking the, the final accounts of elder German citizens who were children during the time of the third right or were teenagers during, and it's about just what life was like as a civilian for the mm. youth. It's about like, what it was like to see this and there's, uh, and, and how they responded to it in their own lives. We haven't got a clip, obviously, because you know it's a lot of it's, it's in, all German, in German subtitled. But uh, they say it is final account because this is the final opportunity to get a lot of these people on microphone. You're talking about taking accounts from a, a lot of very old people. And it sort of stands in opposition to something like, remember They Shall Not Grow Old, the Peter Jackson mm, uh, World yeah. War One, where he used technology and recolorized. It has a similar intent as that, which is we want to get the ultimate documentary 
documentation on account. There is that vibe going for it. But it is, ultimately, here's some old people's talking heads telling you about what life was like when they started seeing more Nazi flags. Yeah, and you know what? That's where I really struggled with this. Like, Mm. the content and, you know, seeing them, I was amazed at how early indoctrinated they would be in the Hitler Youth um, I was yeah, shocked sure. at how, yeah, I was shocked at how they'd be given like alphabet books, which would have like mm. really derogatory um, drawings of Jewish people on it. Did you learn like nothing from Jojo Rabbit, Miss Perfect? Did Jojo Rabbit uh, teach you nothing? No, I know, but like, it's actually like, that's that's fiction to a point. And obviously this is, this is hearing real people talk about this in real life. So it's kind of understanding that I, mm. I, 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 I can't say I enjoyed this cause that's not the right word, is it? But I don't think I, you can. I, no, no, no. I think the, I appreciated the content. Now I struggled massively with the formula of this and the format um, because mm. for me, it felt too formulaic. So you do just see talking heads. There's a problem in in the sense that when you're watching it on on your, your telly box, for instance, it is too small text, right? I really struggled with the subtitles and I really struggled like seeing reading it and being kept uh, uh, kept you, you in sort that, of my attention blaming to the, it. Su- the, the subtitlers i think they're i think their job title is the subtitlers the, the poor guy that transcribe the or copy the actual script in and yeah oh, there's, there, there's things like that and and also i felt like as much as there was talking heads i needed to see even more visual to kind of keep the pace going um, there was a lot of time where you're just watching someone speak. And I spend a lot of time, you know, on other channels and things where I am looking at watching like myself do interviews with people. And I'm so conscious to cut in footage to make it more visually engaging when I'm doing that. And I think this needed a little bit more of that. Although the imagery when it was put in, very harrowing. Early on, early on in the film, I can I can agree with you. I think they, there is a, there is a, a an, ed, an editing fault to this, which is I think the... Um, there is, there is an abundance of static talking headshots mm. that aren't intercut, and that happens, I think, early on in the film. When it gets to the later sections, and we start getting to the revelations that you know, there are some members interviewed feel very strongly that certain elements of the the Third Reich's activities have been embellished or expanded. Let's just politely say, others mm-hmm. have somewhat, let's just say, a, a querying nature about the number of people that died during the Holocaust, for instance. And they, they say this with complete sincerity. And I think not breaking from those interviews in particular, I think adds massively to a lot of the emotion in that scene. There is a, there is, there is a lot of toughness to sitting through a lot of what is on display here. And I think a lot of effectiveness is mm. wrung out of forcing you to, to, to hold your attention there, forcing you to not, you know, yeah. be cut away, forcing you not to get that get out of jail free card where you morally get to put something aside for a second and be like, oh yes, that's how that clip worked back then. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And mm. just forcing you to, you know, to cover it. I liked that about it. I thought it was a really powerful documentary. Um, I thought it was incredibly well put together. There's a sequence um, in which someone who worked in the concentration camps is put before a group of college kids and takes them to task over alt-right views, for instance. And there is a lot of pathos wrung out of, look, this is how this started way back when. 
you all need to wake up and look around every now and again. Uh, and it never loses that effectiveness for me. Like, I, I don't think you can preach that analogy too much personally, but mm. uh, it works. It's effectively done. I think it's uh, is it Luke Holland put this together. I think Luke Holland himself. Lucas is, Holland. Uh, the, is it Luke Holland the, or Lucas Holland? Lucas Holland. I think his grandfather. I think it might be Luke Holland. But his uh, his grandfather, I believe, is uh, is a Holocaust survivor. So this is done in memorial to him. Uh, something very very different. Meanwhile, and uh, this is the wor- the worst possible segue you could make from a documentary about uh, Nazi Germany. Let us talk about Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City, um, mm. the seventh Resident Evil theatrical film. Would you believe um, this franchise? This is a genuine bit trivia. This franchise has toted up so far one and a quarter quarter billion dollars worldwide and yet you and i can as in fact just as a species we can all collectively probably name one sequence from a resident evil movie and that's the corridor with the laser grid like does anyone remember anything else like maybe the dvd cover i don't think anyone remembers so anyway the point is let's do a reboot and their idea for the reboot is Paul Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson, and Mila Jovovich, and that made-up character of Alice, they're out. Okay, now we're going to do the mythology of the PlayStation game. So you know the PlayStation 1 game, you put it on, you're in the haunted house, it's the team wandering around, the stars team, as they're called, wandering around the house, doing the, the, the mystery thing. We're getting to that. That's what we're doing, okay? It's from Johannes Roberts, who directed The Other Side of the Door in 2016, uh, did uh, the 47-meters, 48-meters, whatever, 40-something meters down sequel, uh, Unchained or Uncaged or whatever it was, was I think he did the Strangers sequel as well. He's certainly become a director video sequel guy, disappointingly, but he's now getting to do the reboot of this. He's going deep into the horror lore of it, all about tone, all about atmosphere. The lead now is Kaya Scodelario from Skins. Ah, from and Skins. I think she's the was is the star of the Pirates reboot Disney are doing. I think. Or maybe kind she was of. the love I'm not sure what's going on. Though. Maybe she was in the last one. I'm, I'm, I, I forget. But uh, Skya Scodelario is our new lead. She's Claire Redfield. Uh, as fans know of the video game, she has a twin brother named Chris Redfield, who's a cop, who's played here by Robbie Amell from The Duff and the CW Arrowverse. And uh, they are uh, brought together with this grand mystery of what is, what is happening in the small town of Raccoon City, in which they were raised out of the orphanage. Uh, she may or may not have clairvoyant powers. There is a Shady Doctor, played by Neil McDonough, because of course he is, and also another tie to the Arrowverse there. Nicely done. Um, the Umbrella Corporation, that is the, sort of the big company that runs the small town that they 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 are from, has uh, is closing its doors. Something may or may not have gotten out of the lab, and creepy crawlies are out to get them in the form of sort of flesh eating zombies. S- same day, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know the score. Why are you back here, Claire? Your conspiracies weren't true when we were kids. They're not true now. We need to expose Umbrella. Watch this. I'm afraid, Claire. I'm afraid of what they're going to do to this town. You see, Umbrella, they had an incident. I'm talking Chernobyl, if you know what I mean. People are getting sick. Let the world know what's really going on. Didn't hear any raccoons there. Um, quite interesting <laughs> for a raccoon yeah, city. Weird thing, by the way. 
Weird thing, right? <laughs> it is called Raccoon, and it's very obviously a town. But the title of the thing is Raccoon City, because in the video games, it's called Raccoon City, and it actually is a city. So I don't know what's going on there, but this sure as hell is not a city. It's a town. It's a town called Raccoon, which makes no sense. Why is it called Raccoon? I don't really understand. I mean, look, I've never played the game. I don't really know... I don't know what to expect. Look, as a noob, right, as someone who yeah. would come into this cold, could I watch this? You absolutely could. Disappointingly, giving up the sort of schlock, you know, pseudo faux matrix action styly thing that Paul W.S. Anderson brought to his iteration, this skews a lot closer in tone to the video games, very much so. And, and the sequels as well, they do get to sort of the more ridiculous big monsters and things. Um, the problem is the performances are rubbish. I mean, across the board, oh, no. the performances are garbage. <laughs> Safe for Donal Logue, who is just having a ball in the middle of this. It's just Donal Logue in full, not even, not even what we do in the shadows, meta mode, just full blade <laughs> mode. He's enjoying himself here. Uh, the problem is it all feels very... Uh, director dvd it all feels very much in the vein of the house mm. of the dead or the silent hill kind of movies if you're a fan of those and there are people that think the silent hill movies represent some of the better uh video game movies which be a fair play if you want to make that argument fine i'll, I'll agree with you to a point um and i think if you are in that camp you're gonna have a blast with this because it's very much in line with that but uh, they're, they're gonna go more the sequels are gonna go more direct to dvd if they come out of this because that's what this yeah. feels like this feels like you're gonna get made for stream movies off the stream movies off the back of this and nothing else this is not much more of a cinematic franchise and that disappoints me because i'm a fan of johannes roberts i think he's great oh. I, I interviewed him for the other side of the door and he was such a nice guy and i loved his work on that and and, and the, the 47 meters down sequel which i thought again was quite well done for a schlock sequel it's got like Mike Flanagan. He's like a, a, a sort of you know runner up to Mike Flanagan in that regard for me. But uh, better look next time. Um, this is a better film than Paul Anderson's ones, but mm -hmm. by God, is it duller? That's that. That's kind of it's crapper and it's duller. Ugh. Welcome back to Offscreen. So we're moving you from the world of cinematography and, well, we're not moving you from the world of cinematography. We're just going to put it on your couch uh, and bring you into the world of telly. And uh, we've got a seven-day guide of all the top movies that you'll want to watch um, because we're telling you how great they are. <laughs> and we're going to kick off with your Saturday night. And it's going to be Django Unchained on Five Star at 10pm. Now, I don't know where you sit with um, Quentin Tarantino, Van, but I... Uh, uh, this this movie for me kind of sits middle ground in terms of all of his his offerings. It's not it's not something that I will rush to watch again and again. I mean, I, I don't mind Tarantino when I, I I don't know when he's when he's cooking up something like I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood very much. Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs I don't think will ever be beaten, and I think mm. Kill Bill Two is better than Kill Bill One if you want my honest view. I, I think Hateful Eight is very good. But I, I'm aware I'm a weirdo in that regard. It's 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 fine. It's fine. But Django Unchained is a decent middle ground. It's got some great moments. I think it has got some mm. defining Tarantino moments. It was worthy of its 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 Oscar attention. Anyway, um, was am I right? I think it was Will Smith that uh, originally turned down Django. I think was this, that was a story. Oh, we turned that. What did he turn? Did he turn it down for Wild Wild West? 
<laughs> well, that was the Matrix. Let's turn down the Matrix. Or wow, what was? How stupid, man. Right. Anyway, oh uh, God. 10, 10 p.m. Saturday night on Five Star seems a good time for Django as well. Now, uh, Sunday pick. I know you don't like this one, but you know yeah. it's getting to it's it's getting more close to Christmas. You know, Sunday afternoons are turning into that time when you know you've been out in the cold with the kids, maybe over lunch, and you just want to curl up on the couch and in get warm and watch something comforting on TV, some family movie fun. In which case, Channel 4 have got you covered at 4.30, 4.30, small print, uh, 4.30 on Sunday afternoon with their premiere of Sonic the Hedgehog, which oh, I think God. is, is it the second highest grossing movie of 2020 because of COVID? I think it turned out to be the second highest grossing. I think Bad Boys, uh, Bad Boys for Life was like the third or something like that. But it is, of course, the uh, CG live action hybrid. James Marsden is the small town cop forced onto a road trip with the one and only marooned version of marooned not maroon they've not changed his color god they didn't try and make that change to him they made other changes controversially but the marooned version of sonic the hedgehog i'm wet i'm cold there's a fish on my head and clearly i'm not going to be able to do this on my own All right, get in the truck. Really? You're gonna help me? I guess it is a little bit my fault that all this is happening to you. Not a little bit, entirely. It is entirely your okay, fault. It's entirely my fault. Are you coming? Yes. Road trip! Whoop whoop! What am I doing? What are we all doing? That's the question. <laughs> what are we all doing watching this, man? <laughs> you know, it's fun for with the kids. I think it's a good one with the kids. I mean, uh, my flatmate is... son, my nephew. They all we all seem to just sort of love watching it. It's one of those. Ones. They, I don't. I can't explain it. It did turn out better than it had any reasonable expectation to be. Oh, I have more shudder. faith in Sonic the Hedgehog two than I do in Super Mario Brothers movie. No, don't it say it, Van. You and I will fall out. Let's move right. swiftly on before we we lock horns anymore. Uh, Monday, uh, we an ITV four at ten pm. Now, oh, I'm not familiar with it. This is one. This is one that Vans picked. Half past dead. No, it was it was crap pickings on Monday. So I was picking out of a bad bunch. It was either that or it was a repeat. I forget. But I've gone for this because it's just fun to talk about the fact that this exists. Um, this is a movie. This is genuinely, I think, the last time anyone attempted to theatrically release a Steven Seagal movie, and it comes from 2003. It stars Steven Seagal, Morris Chestnut, and Ja Rule. And the idea is basically The Rock, but a sci-fi decked-out version of Alka. Alcatraz, actually on Alcatraz, they've reopened it and, and, and rebooted it um, with Steven Seagal versus Morris oh Chestnut in full leather coated, leather matrix coat mode. It's terrible, but it's it's so spectacularly, hilariously terrible, it's almost worth a watch. And the rapper Corrupt, I believe, goes on from this movie to get his very own sequel as well, in which I think he stars with the WWE uh, wrestler Goldberg. Uh, so that you can always check that out if you're an aficionado. But let's Sounds talk, like, I, I've deliberately <laughs> tripped you up. I, I, want, I want to get this on record because I, I took great relish in this. I sent you the list of freeview movies for this week to pick through. Yeah. And uh, you sent them back to me and completely uh, renamed one of them. Ac justifiably, accidentally, and I love it. So you sent me back your pick for Tuesday on the Horror Channel 9pm and American Wealth in London. Now, 
I would be happy to indulge that. However, that's not what's on the Horror Channel <gasps> at 9pm on Tuesday. It is, in fact, <laughs> the little-known sequel from 1998, An American Werewolf in Paris, starring oh, Tom well, no. Everett Scott. <laughs> And as the now adult daughter of the characters played, you know, played by Jenny Agatha, etc., in 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 the first one, in the John Landis original, uh, Julie Delphi, who most cinephile snooty cardigan film critics like to forget, used to star in dross like this, in between things like Before Midnight and yeah, things like that. And uh, this is on the Horror Channel 9 p.m. Tuesday night is worth seeing just to see how bad a direct to video. I think look, it plays like a made for TV remake of a. I can World only. I can only apologise, ladies and gents, um, because I I saw it and thought, oh, American Werewolf yeah. in London, the nineteen eighty one classic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I shall pay more attention next time. It's, it's, <laughs> Slap it, me on the it, wrist. it is still canon, though. It is still a canon sequel. It's like The Fly 2 with Eric Stoltz. You know, it is still an actual <laughs> official sequel. So it is worth knowing that it exists. And you can see it at 9 pm on the Horror Channel. Uh, on to Wednesday night, 11 uh, 15 on BBC Two. You didn't pick this back, so I did, because no. I, I, I refuse to deny this film the love that it deserves. Free State of Jones, starring Matthew McConaughey, Gugu Mbata, Raw, Mahershal. Ali and Kerry Russell. This is directed by Hunger Games director Gary Ross. This was like his passion project for years. And it's it effectively, it plays like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with slavery in the Deep South, if you can imagine. Oh, wow. that. With, with, yeah, with McConaughey using the swamps in the same way that like Kevin Costner and that particular iteration of The Merry Men use the forest. This is great. This 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 is worth seeing, and it's it's all about sort of he tries to. It, it, it's about the the sort of the, those who have defected and those who have fled the conflict in the in the in the civil war and freed slaves, basically forming their own militia and forming their own independent state of Jones County. But of course, they still have to deal with the racial integration and the emerging civil rights movement that's coming out of the end of slavery at the time. You'll hear here. Ain't just for you to decide. That child has a choice. I didn't have no choice. What kind of life do you think is going to be better for him? That ain't the point. I don't want my boy to get lynched. I want him to go to a school. I don't want him to drop his eyes every time a white man walked by. I don't want him to be a boy no more once he turned into a man. Don't you want that, too? We got to go up north. It ain't your fault we lost that war. I know you tried to win it all by yourself. This is our home. To be fair, it was. It sounds, but from that clip, much better than my clip, which was the hitman's bodyguard. Um. The only, yeah, the only thing, the only thing I'll say about Free State of Jones is it has um, a final scene on the end that just doesn't need to be there. That's just like, oh, no. I mean, it, it's it sort of relates to the true story, and it just feels so awkward. Though it's one of those moments where you're like. I know why narratively and for the purpose of the story it's there, but it just feels so naff. And the only thing I can compare it to is that moment at the end of, of the last Harry Potter movie, which they do like the 19 years later bit. And it's the only thing I can compare it to. And if you watch the movie, you will enjoy it. And then you'll get to that bit and you'll, you'll realise why I said that. Anyway, Thursday night, um, film four, Bex. You've hit 11.20. This is worth noting, 25th anniversary this year. Taking away 
Oh, yes. Uh, 11.20pm film for Thursday. Train spotting, the one, yes. the only. You know, every time I say that word, I've just got the, the lust for life music that just comes on in my head. It's, um, you know, it is the movie that launched uh, Ewan McGregor's career it's it's the movie that danny boyle i will ever forever be grateful for it's just a fantastic movie i don't need to say much more about it because we all know it's great let's move well, we all, on. It's, been on, it's been on every student bedroom wall i think for 25 yes. years now as, as, yes as well, so. absolutely i went to uni with my film four poster which included <laughs> renton on the front of it um and then Friday, oh, I love this movie. Office Christmas Party is on film four at nine o'clock on Friday, rounding off the week. This is the one with Olivia Munn, isn't it? This is the one. Yeah, your your Hollywood double, yes. Um, starring yes. Olivia Munn alongside Jason <laughs> Bateman. <laughs> yeah, Jason Bateman. The thing is, this is Friday the 10th, 9pm. This is one of those I think most people are going to be having to be Sky Plusing or T-Bowing because most people are going to be going to their office Christmas parties, if not like this Friday night uh, or this Saturday night, then the one after that, definitely the one after that. But we get to that point where the weekends, everyone starts to have their actual office Christmas parties if they are during COVID time. So why not enjoy this riotous one in which... Uh, T.J. Miller is the, uh, the the man-child company exec who has to save the fledgling family business from his from the machinations of his devious sister, played by Jennifer Aniston. Dad gave you a free pass your entire life, and you're not getting one from me. The only way you're going to hit your targets this year is by cutting jobs. Hey, what if we landed the Data City account? <laughs> Data City? Walter Davis? That's right. You do know that he's already met with HP, Cisco, and Oracle. Yeah, but he hasn't heard our pitch. No. Josh and I have been drilling into it for weeks. No, months, whole team. And we have a meeting with him this afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on a flight to London tonight. So if by some miracle, you guys can close Walter Davis and his $14 million contract by the time I land in Heathrow, the jobs are safe. Done. And you'll see, you're going to look so stupid. Then we'll finally have something in common. If, like me, you are having a Christmas party of one, then this is your perfect companion, is all I'd say. That, again, is on Friday night at uh, Film 4 at 9pm. Go watch it. It's fantastic. Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And you know what? We've got something notable on the DVD and Blu-ray aisle this week. This got dumped out onto uh, Disney Plus, I believe, this Wednesday on the 1st of December. Uh, is now on DVD and Blu-ray as well. And apparently has been um, the merciless target of apathetic millennials, Bex. We're talking about Ridley Scott's movie of the year, not House of Gucci, notably, the other one. It's the rape rasher man, The Last Duel. Starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer. I, do you know what this this came in for a kick in? But I yeah. didn't mind it. I know. I quite. I remember your review of this a couple of weeks yeah. ago. You really enjoyed this, and I'm quite looking forward to watching it. Regardless, I mean, we still are classed as millennials, and I don't know why <laughs> our fellow brethren have not uh, taken to this movie as such. But you know what? All I'd say about this is that Ridley Scott is a busy man. He's not only yeah, got House yeah. of Gucci out, he's filming Kit Bag. There's loads of other stuff that he's got on his way. So, you know, I'm sure he's not too bothered. 
No, I'm, I'm sure knowing Ridley Scott, if he's ever silent for more than a couple of minutes, then he's probably planning another god-awful alien prequel. Please stop, Ridley, please. But The Last Duel, <laughs> I, I quite like, has got one of my favourite Ben Affleck performances ever in it. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I don't say that lightly, believe me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a an Affleck aficionado. This I do not take lightly, but it is one of my, my favourite Affleck performances in The Last Duel. Um, so you can uh, you can see that on, on Disney+, Plus or now on DVD and Blu-ray. But uh, going on to uh, streaming then, let's talk about uh, another movie coming to Disney Plus this Sunday. Uh, now, I didn't get the chance to catch this at the LFF this year. Uh, Maria Duarte raved about it. No, I never got to see mm. it. This is the documentary, The First Wave, which is about the uh, the response from first responders in New York to the early days of the pandemic. And it's apparently a very <gasps> harrowing documentary. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I think this is being done as part of the Nat Geo uh, part of Disney Plus, you know, because they own uh, National Geographic as, as part of that. So I think that's going out through that. Uh, more popularly known, and I know you're a fan of this, uh, on the same on on the same on the same platform, Disney Plus. Friday the tenth, so next Friday, we're getting two new comedies. We're getting uh, we, well, the first we're getting is of course the Diablo Cody written. Juno from Ghostbusters Afterlife director Jason Reitman. You're a fan of this, aren't you, Bex? What? As if, like, I bought myself a burger phone just in uh, <laughs> in relation to this movie. No, I don't like it. Uh, no, I love Juno. And, you know, Elliot Page um, was fantastic in it. Um, formerly Elliot Ellen Page, Page with the abs, by the way. Have you seen the abs? I have not seen the abs. I'm, I will be Googling oh, as so, soon as we I'm finish so the show. I'm, 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 I'm envious. You know, but, really? Uh, I'm envious. I'm envious of those abs, but and in well, such a short is, time, like wow. Yeah, amazing. Well, this is an award-winning um, f- film for Diablo Cody. I don't know what, like, really, what else we saw from Diablo Cody other than that. Charlize uh, Jennifer's Theron. body. Quite, Jennifer's body was the really high-profile sort of follow-up for Diablo Cody to to Juno, because obviously it was then it was Diablo Cody teaming up with Megan Fox, and there was that whole thing. Mm. Yeah, I d- it didn't hit me as much as, as Juno did. But you know what? This is like a zeitgeisty kind of movie. It was like of its time, brilliantly acted, so sharp and witty, something that I think Greta Gerwig would just, you know, dream of mm. recreating in a way. Should we have a little listen to, to some of the, the, the very distinctly Diablo Cody? Because she is one of those writers, isn't she? Where there is no, you, you're under no mistake, mistake whatsoever. You're under no misapprehension. This is clearly a Diablo Cody script I am listening to. Like I'd marry you, you'd be the meanest wife ever, okay? And, and I know that you weren't bored that day because there was a lot of stuff on TV and, and the Blair Witch Project was coming on stars. And you were like, I haven't seen this since it came out, and it, so we should watch it. And then, but oh no, we should just make out instead. La la la. Uh, you just, you just take Katrina the douche packer to prom. I'm, I'm sure you two will have like a real bitchin' time. Well, I still have your underwear. I still have your virginity. God, would you shut up? What are you? Are you ashamed that we did it? No. Because at least you don't have to have the evidence under your sweater. I'm a planet. God, I do love that movie. It's it takes so you good. back, doesn't it? It does, it does. And it's just, yeah, like, yeah, that is so sharply written and just so, mm. oh, it's just so brilliant. But also we've got The Heat uh, on Disney Plus as well. So not Heat, 
The Heat, uh, which is coming out on Friday next week as well. What's this one all about? The, the Heat, this is the 2013 action comedy from Paul Feig, starring uh, Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. One of my favourite bits of trivia about this is that for the longest time, this project was officially referred to as Untitled Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy Female Buddy Cop Comedy, which I can't <laughs> help but wonder if they had actually put that on a poster. Just knocked off the untitled bit and actually put out a movie called Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy, but a female buddy cop comedy. I, I wonder it. how that would have done. It probably would have done about as well as The Heat, which I, I think is genuinely overlooked, and he's a great action comedy. It's got some, some vintage McCarthy bits. Sandra Bullock is just having a ball playing sort of the straight man opposite. You know, sort of in, in that sort of nerdy way, when, when Sandra Bullock plays nerd, she plays the, the sort of fish-out-of-water nerd, and she does yeah. it incredibly well, in the same way kind of as, as Miss Congeniality. But I kind of remember it. I, I, inverted. Yeah, I loosely remember this one it doesn't mm. jump out as me as one like you know you say miscongeniality I'll know exactly what it is but not with this one I think this is kind of um, middle of the road maybe yeah, it's, it's got a, a great sequence in which, because uh, it's set in Boston, and it's got a great sequence in which uh, Sandra Bullock is is being asked repeatedly by Melissa McCarthy's brothers if she's a cop, and they choose to ask this by the phrase "Are you a narc?" And but they <laughs> say it in the thickest Boston accent. It's like "Are you a narc?" Are you? Are you not a knack? A knack? I'm gonna say what acts out. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the worst. It's, it's just brilliant. It's brilliantly done. Anyway, let's. So we've got one big release uh, on the same day on streaming on Friday the uh, the tenth on Amazon Prime. And this has uh, skipped uh, cinemas entirely, and this this caught kind of all of us who noticed it unaware, completely by surprise. Um, because it had had a, a quite a decent run internationally in cinemas at the start of the year. It's the latest Guy Ritchie film, and it's his reunion with Jason Statham. And it's going straight to streaming in the UK on Amazon Prime on Friday the 10th. It's called Wrath of Man. It stars Statham as H, a new security guard for an armored car company who proves to who goes through his his induction training, proves to be a very adequate, you know, inductee, but then finds himself in the line of fire during an attempted robbery and suddenly shows himself off to be absolutely lethal, causing, you know, his fellow security guards to wonder just what's going on and why do all these robbers who survive all seem so terrified of him? It doesn't feel right. It was as if he recognized H. Like he saw a dark spirit. What are you saying? I don't know what I'm saying. He's not a cop. Doesn't smell like a cop. But if he's not a cop, what is he? He's a dark spirit. This is very interesting because does this mm. sort of go, how, how important is cinema to go and watch some of these movies? Because a Guy Ritchie movie, I'd love to go and see in the cinema. Or is it is Guy Ritchie kind of going, Amazon streaming, this is the way to go? 
I would venture a guess that someone saw the quality of the finished film because this does feel like a throwaway effort from both Statham and mm. Richie. Um, it is, it's a remake of a foreign language film that's, and I think it's kept the structure from that. It takes place in sort of four non-linear, they're out of order, the chapters. It doesn't quite work, I don't think. I, 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 it feels like they're trying to bring a style of cool to a film that I think needed more nuance and depth added to it. It doesn't work as a Jason Statham action, or I think needed to work as more of a gritty thriller. And I think Statham plays it as more of a lethal Terminator kind of a role, almost as like a Liam Neeson movie. In a sense, mm. you, you and, and you want you're getting like a Liam Neeson movie, and what you want is more of a, a high budget, a high concept thriller out of it. Something like The Departed, of all things. Yeah, it just doesn't quite work. Great cast though, Josh Hartnett's in this. Would you believe? Would, you know, wow. the Callan is, is in there as well. Um, it, the stuff about it, the worst, the stuff that's very cool. I mean, it looks the biz, and it's got like that that grizzled '80s B movie swagger. But it just doesn't quite work because the material isn't there. Mm. It, it, it is, Same. and I don't think Statham can sell this as well as they think he can. It just doesn't quite work, and it does remind you of, of, of like Revolver when they tried to do something similar with Revolver, where they were trying to tell an unconventional story with Guy Ritchie and, and Jason Statham, and you get you had results that were worse than this. To be fair, this is nowhere near as bad as Revolver. But we are talking about the same kind of pantheon. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, that very, very tidily rounds up our selection of movies on the big screen, the small screen and everything in between this week. So lots of great picks there. That Blue Bio, Bayou movie is definitely one to watch. Not Blue Bio. That would be something totally Blue different. Bio. Uh, Blue Bio. <laughs> I think I was going to give a tally-ho there. Um, but we'll be back next week with, well, gosh, I'm trying to think what we've got as the big movies next week. You know what the biggie is next week, I know the biggie screening. I don't know if it's the big release, but it's West Side Story uh, next <gasps> week. It seems to be the uh, the big. In fact, it would be. It would be, wouldn't it? The big release next week is uh, is is West Side Story. So we get to yeah. we get to get our dancing shoes on next week and try not to talk about uh, Ansel Elgort's personal life, which is going to be uh, more I than uh, Spielberg's it. doing. But let's just, let's just get that one right out of the way. But hey, you know, <laughs> next week uh, next week we've got, is it the Jets and the Sharks this week? But, uh, yeah, the Jets and the Sharks, and, and you shots. know, I I I, yeah. I want to be in America, um, where you are, and you'll be coming back to Blighty. So we will see you on our home shores. Um, but until next time, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>